like you, maker of heaven, Lord of the land, and Lord of the sea, holy and true, faithful and able, Lord of all time and eternity. Dear friend, every word that God speaks is alive and full of power to inform and transform, to make us what He desires us to be. The entrance of His word will give you light. Truth produces roots, and then the roots will produce fruits. God bless you. This message was preached by Dr. Ferdinand Mweke, coordinator of Eternity Ministries. We believe you will be edified. For the inquiries, contact. Eternity Ministries, P.O. Box 2637, Bauchi, Nigeria, or telephone 0807 570 or 0802 or send us an email at eternitymin at yahoo.com. That is eternitymin at yahoo.com. Don't forget, the bigger God gets in your eyes, the tinier your mountains become. of this atmosphere and subdue everything that is not of God and bring your presence, bring your glory and bring the flow that only happens when your spirit is present. Your word said where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. Let there be liberty to receive from you. Let there be liberty for the flow and the move and the workings of your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, gracious Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name we have prayed. And amen. Let's give God praise. Let's give God a clap offering. Excuse Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I would like us to uh, read some texts which um, will form the basis of this introductory foundation that needs to be laid tonight uh, in the course of Midnight Cry 2016. Uh, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Don't forget, like I mentioned, we perceive that God is mobilizing all of his people to pursue his purpose and to fulfill his agenda. Remember that last year in Midnight Cry, if you were here, you will recall that we saw that there are certain understandings that have limited the people of God. One of them is the idea that you have some people who are full-time and you have some other people that are part-time. Do you remember that we discussed something like that? Now, we don't find that in the Bible. Jesus did not die on the cross to buy part-time Christians. 
a part-time Christian is a full-time sinner. If you are serving Jesus with part of your time, then what are you doing with the rest? Now, part of the reason for that division is that we have also categorized work into spiritual and secular. So people that work full-time in the church or that speak and preach full-time from the pulpit, we say that they are full-time ministers. Then people like Dr. Ndububa who lectures in the university and is in education, but he's also preaching the gospel. We call people like him, we say they are part-time. But if you know him, for instance, you know that the man does more work than many so-called full-time preachers. How many of us, you know that from the years that you have known him? Both when he was in the poly, he was a full-time pastor leading the chapel of victory as chaplain. But some people will have the guts to say that people like him are part-time. I don't know if you are following the matter now. If you go by that kind of, uh, of definitions and classification, you know that you are cheating the body of Christ. Part of the reason is because once you categorize some people as part-time and other people as full-time, you have exempted the so-called part-time people from serious Christianity. Since the man is part-time, he doesn't have to know Bible like the full-time preacher. He doesn't have to pray like the full-time preacher. He doesn't have to seek the anointing of the Holy Spirit like the person that you have already called full-time. When he has a problem, he doesn't need to pray and fast and wait on God to solve it. You that you are full-time, you are supposed to do his praying and fasting for him. You are the anointed man of God, Abi. So his job is to give you tithes and offering so that you can be preaching. And then if he has a problem, he comes to you. If he's going to travel and he needs Johnny Messies, he comes to you. You know you are the one that is connected to God in heaven. You and God, you are neighbors. You are body bodies. You are full time. <laughs> but he is part time. So he is exempted from looking for God like the other person that is full time. Now there is nothing like that in the New Testament. There is nothing like that in the New Testament. It has cheated the church. The reason it has cheated the church because once you tell some people that they are part-time, then you can expect part-time commitment from part-time people. I don't know how you can expect a full-time commitment from people that you have already told that they are part-time and people that have a part-time mindset. I, I will not go over all that because, like I said, it's, it's a huge matter. We dealt with it last year in midnight cry and i encourage you i think the tapes and the cds are still available you can get that and you are going to find that in the material there's a reason in the book um uh, marketplace ministry but there's a reason i'm mentioning all of this we also saw that work is god's work whether it is what you call spiritual or secular god does not divide work into spiritual and secular work is work the bible said whatever you do in word and in deed. You should do it how? You should do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as unto the Lord, giving glory to God. In fact, the Bible says that even servants who are serving their masters, that they are serving Christ. Can you imagine a slave that is working for his master? The Bible says that he's serving the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to get his reward from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So there's nothing like part, like spiritual work and secular work. All work is God's work as long as it is legitimate work. When we understand this, you see, there are lots of us believers, we are very serious around church, but we are careless in our offices. The reason is because the work in church is sacred, but then the one in the office is government work. I also say to you, if you remember, there is nothing like government work. You see, we have all kinds of definitions in our minds that are very unbiblical. Some years ago, God said something to me. He said to me, he said, beware of your definitions. You see, your definitions will determine your approach. If you have defined work as spiritual, sacred, and secular, your approach to the sacred work will be different from your approach to the secular work. If you describe money as God's money and government money, your approach to God's money will be different from your approach to government money. You know, in Nigeria, we talk about government money. Have you heard that kind of thing before? There is nothing like government money in the Bible. The money that people call government money in Nigeria is actually God's money that God allocated for the welfare of Nigeria. So as far as I'm concerned, what people call government money is as holy as the money in the church. All of them, they are God's money. But you see, many people that go to church, they will be slow to come and steal money that is God's money in the church. But government money in their office, that is a different case. What I'm saying, is it making sense to you? The first thing I want to establish is that our definitions are very important. And our definitions of ministry has, have severely limited the body of Christ. Now, we talk about people we call ordained ministers. Have you heard something like that before? You are not answering me. I need some feedback from you, please, now. Ordained ministers. Who are the ordained ministers? They are the ones that normally sit on the pulpit. You know, I like the way chapel is organized there, you know. <laughs> Almost all of us, we sit on this side. Huh? But... In many places, you have the ordained ministers that sit in front, and then you have the talakawas, you know, the, <laughs> the rest of us, the proletariat, the masses. Does that make sense now? And I'm reading the Bible, I heard the Lord Jesus Christ says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have ordained you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. And I'm asking myself, if Jesus Christ said that he has chosen some people and he has ordained them, are they ordained or they are not ordained? Are you going to say that some people that Jesus said he has ordained, they are not ordained because human beings have not ordained them? And by the way, human beings better not ordain people that Jesus Christ has not already ordained. In fact, human ordination is a simple confirmation of a pre-existing divine ordination. You cannot ordain a man that God has not already ordained. And when Jesus said, I have ordained you, was he talking to only pastors or he was talking to Christians? So you see that our definitions in our mind, they are very, very, very important. 
I want to say, well, me, I'm not an ordained minister. Then we talk about the anointed man of God. Who is this anointed man of God? Did Jesus die for him two times on Calvary? Because I read in the Bible again, he says, all of you, you have an anointing from the Holy One of Israel and you know all things. He said, the anointing which all of you, you have received abides in you and you have no need that any man should teach you but as that same anointing is abiding in you, you should go ahead and listen to that anointing teaching you inside. That's in 1 John chapter 2. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is not only available to the ordained ministers on the pulpit, it says the promise is for you and for your children and for them that are afar off and for as many as the Lord our God shall call. Does, did the Bible say something like that about the Holy Spirit? On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried, If any man is thirsty, let him do what? Let him come to me and drink. Any man. If any man. He didn't say if any reverend. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For as the scripture has said, He that believeth on me. Who is this promise for? People of God. He that believeth on me. What is going to happen to the person? Out of his belly shall flow. What? I can't hear you, servants of God. I need you. You see, make sure you participate in Midnight Cry. Midnight, this is not a spectator program. Jesus said, He that believeth on me. That's the, that's the, that's the condition. The believing one. What is going to happen to him now? Out of his belly shall flow. What? Reverse rivers of living water. And what was he talking about? He was speaking of the Holy Spirit, which those who believe on him should afterward receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. So how did we divide the church into the anointed and the unanointed dependent congregation? The problem with all of these things I'm talking about is that they limit the number of children of revival. So now, the only people that God can use are the ones that are on the pulpit. They are the preachers. They are the full-time. They are the anointed. They are the ordained. Then the rest of the people can mind their business. They can continue with their civilian life. Whereas they are soldiers of Christ. What I'm saying is it making sense to you now. You see, this thing is, is a, a paradigm. It's a big change. It's a big shift that God is bringing about inside his church. To show us that everybody is a child of God. The Bible says... In Christ, there is one Lord, there is one baptism, there is one... Can you help me put up Ephesians chapter 4? Let's go back to Ephesians 4 and read from verse 1, and then we will get into the matters before us this evening. Please go with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse... Let's read it from verse 3. Can, can I request that we all read together? One, two, go. There is how many bodies? Are you in Ephesians chapter 4? Please join me to read from verse 4. Sorry, from verse 4. Let's go. There is 
one body and there is one spirit just as we are called in how many hopes one hope of how many calling of one calling and then how many lords one lord one faith one baptism one god one father of all who is above all of us and he walks through how many of us through all of us and is present we are in all of us please question who divided a family that has all this one 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 who divided this family into two categories one father one lord one body one faith one baptism one hope one calling one father of all who is above all he is present in all of you and he, he walks through how many of you through all of you who divided the church into two now do you know what is going to happen to all of us if you accept this thing that i'm teaching from the scripture that you are a full-time servant of god do you know what is going to happen to you the day he dawns on you that i am a full-time servant and minister of the gospel of our lord jesus christ that is who you are now you are not going to preach from a church pulpit because all preachers do not preach from a church pulpit do you remember that we saw something like that do you remember that preacher that was king what was his pulpit please his pulpit was the throne ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 he said the words of the preacher son of david king in jerusalem do you remember something like that ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 the words of the preacher the son of david king in jerusalem this man is a preacher he called himself a preacher and then he is the son of david and then what is this man please now he is king now please this is not spiritual kingship this man is not a spiritual king he's a literal monarch sitting on a throne but what did he call himself the preacher so this man is a preacher but he's preaching from the throne who remembers the man's name his name was solomon in verse 12 eh? is it verse 11 or verse 12 please go to verse 12. i the preacher was what was king over israel we are it, it, what what did the man call himself i the preacher excuse me if you were both king son of david and you were a preacher how will you introduce yourself you are going to say i the king the son of david i was also a preacher because for you being a king is more important than being a preacher I said for a lot of people being a king is more important than being a preacher the reason you will think like that is because you don't understand the glory of god and the purposes of god the greatest calling that is available for any human being on planet earth is to carry a message for the king eternal if i had a thousand lives i will be happy to do what i am doing now in all of them So in that scripture, you see purpose. What is the purpose of the man's life? The purpose of his life is preacher to carry a message for God. 
The next thing you see is pedigree. Pedigree. Where he is coming from. Who gave that to him? Son of David. The third thing that you see is platform. Platform. That is the throne. So you see, the throne was given to Solomon as a platform from where to preach a message. I said God gave to Solomon the throne as a pulpit from where to preach. Listen, sir. Every preacher does not preach from a church pulpit. The reason Nigeria is the way it is is because we have a lot of preachers preaching from church pulpits, but we have no preachers in NMPC. We have no preachers in government houses. We have no preachers on campuses. Multiply full-time preachers. We have no preachers in the market. We have no preachers in the Federal Inland Revenue Service collecting taxes. We have church members who cannot represent the interests of the kingdom. When you talk about, you know when we quote Daniel, you think that Daniel is a reverend. Daniel was a sitting vice president. I said Daniel was what? He was a vice president in every term of the world, running state affairs and receiving and downloading prophecies from the God of heaven. Who taught us that spirituality and professionalism are incompatible? Who taught us that? Who taught us that you cannot be an engineer and be a prophet at the same time? Who taught us that you cannot be a medical doctor and be laying hands on the sick and they'll be recovering? How come our anointing only works inside church? Listen, tell the church to take the church out of church because assault is not needed in salt. Church is not needed in church. Do you need salt in the salt? Do you need light in the light? Listen, if the church does not carry church out of church and enter into society, listen sir, the light has to shine. Where? In the darkness. That's where God intended that his people will shine the light. In the darkness. Paul said something to Agrippa that blessed me. Paul was defending himself before Agrippa. He said, King Agrippa, King, the king is aware of what I'm talking about now. King Agrippa, you know what I'm talking about. This thing was not done in a corner. Do you remember something like that now? This thing, I don't want to get into studying that because that will, that will reduce our speed where we are going. But Paul said to Agrippa, look, this thing was, the king knows what I'm talking about now. This thing was not done in a corner. This thing was not done in a corner. Excuse me, Jesus did not die on the cross in a corner. He didn't do his miracles in a corner. Peter's shadow was not healing the sick in a corner. Stephen was not killed in a corner. New Testament Christianity was not done in a corner. The devil has succeeded in pushing the church of Jesus Christ into a corner and listen to the burden on the heart of God. God is bringing his church out of the corner. And the church is going to invade every department of society. Carrying the life of God. Carrying the power of God. Carrying the truth of the most high God. And bringing deliverance to the nations of the earth. Do you understand what we are dealing with here now?
this is what you have come here for. This is what God has brought you here to equip you so that as you are going to your own platform, I want you to listen. Do you know that all that you call professions, they are platforms for ministry? Everybody that served God in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, they were not priests in the temple. If you look at the Old Testament, people serve God as priests, they serve God as kings, as royalty, they serve God as musicians, they serve God as craftsmen, people like Bezalel. Bezalel was not filled with the Holy Spirit so that he could preach. He was filled with the Holy Ghost so that he could make complicated designs. Is it possible that in today's Nigeria, God can fill you with the Holy Ghost and give you wisdom to develop designs in engineering, to develop the industrial designs, to develop designs in all kinds of clothing and fabric and leather and metal? This Holy Spirit that all he does is speaking tongues is not the one that is found in the Bible. Give God a clap off if you understand what I'm talking about. He does more than that. He does much, much more than that. In the Old Testament, there were people that were carrying firewood. Were they serving God? I'm asking, were they serving God? If you don't understand that they were serving God, imagine that the day Solomon killed 1,000 sacrifices and you have to burn all of them. How much firewood are you going to need to burn 1,000 cows? And they were also fetching water. You remember them? They give your night. Hewers of wood and fetchers of water. Their job in serving God is to be bringing water. I want you to listen. If you kill 1,000 cows, do you know the quantity of water you need to wash away the blood? Were they serving God or not? They were serving God. There were people like musicians, Asaph, Jeduthun, worshippers and singers that David placed in their offices to serve God and to minister. Where did we get this idea that until somebody is shouting from a church pulpit, he's not a minister of the gospel? If you look in the New Testament, everybody was not an apostle. If you look at that scripture, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Please go back. This is an introductory remark and then we will bring a scripture tonight and then we will begin to draw the matter to a close. Find somewhere to pray. Look at the same Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. Remember, all the one, 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 one we are reading, stop in verse 6. Eh? One God, one Father of all, who is above all, who walks through all, and who is in all of you. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Look at verse 7. But to, help me to read verse 7. Read it very carefully. What does he say there? But to how many of us? I need to hear from you, child of God. What did he say there? But to how many of us? To each one of us. To every one of us. What has happened there now? Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to who to men now this he ascended what does he mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth he who descended is also the one who did what 
who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now please look at verse 11 very closely. What does he say in verse 11? And he himself gave some. Some. Mark the word some. He gave some to be apostles. Some prophets. Some evangelists. Some pastors and teachers. Now question. The fact that he gave all of these ones, all of these things that he gave them, does it mean that he didn't give the others anything? What did he read in verse 7? What did he say in verse 7? He says, to each of us, something was given. Grace was given. And then we are now told that specifically, there are five categories of people, apostles. He gave some. He gave some as apostles, some to be prophets, some to be uh, evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. Ah, so that they will do what? Look at the rest of that scripture. Please go to the next verse. Go to the next verse, verse 12 now. Why did he give all these ones what he gave them? Everybody help me to read verse 12. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So the job of the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the pastor and the teacher, what is their job? Is it their job to do the ministry in that place? Whose job is it to do the ministry? The saints. Whose job is it to equip the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry? Oh, I can't hear some of you, please. You need to, this is very important. If we have to be on the same page here. When I talk like this, some people say, but Fernand, are you saying there will be no leaders in the church? I can't say that. I can't say that, but the fact that you're a leader, does not mean that the children of God should be less than God planned for them to be. How many of us, you have children and you are happy for ten of your, five of your children to be dependent on their eldest brother? Raise your hand. What kind of a parent is that? You want all your children to do well. You want them to maximize their potentials. Am I correct? So why do we think that God enjoys having many of his children dependent on a few of his children. Whereas all of them have direct access. Somebody say access, access. All of them have direct access to the father. Why are we minimizing the people of God? Why are we reducing believers and telling them that they are, they are they, look, your, this is your place there. When all of us have one father, one hope, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one, how many heavens are we going to? And how many Bible do we all have? So you see, this thing is more than a sermon. This is more than a program. What you are, you are hearing the cry of the spirit. Look, as you look at the other religion, I want to ask you, who is it that starts mosques? Is it the imam or Muslims? Answer the question. It's a very simple question. Who starts mosque? Is it the imam or Muslims? Good. Who starts churches? Is it the Christians or the pastors? Now, which one is going to grow faster? Do the math. Do the arithmetic. The other one is a movement driven by the members. This one is a monument 
led by the leaders. So, if the pastor doesn't start church, there can be 200 Christians in the whole place. All of them will be going around minding their business until pastor come and say, eh, you know it is good for Christians to come here. But on the other side, if there are three of them in a place, what do they do? They put stones and they begin to pray. A mosque has been born. Then when the thing grows, what happens? They find a pastor and put it in place. What do you think is going to happen to Christianity if the average Christian becomes a church planter? Why not? You see, the problem is that you, you are quarreling with what I'm telling you that you are a full-time minister. You are, you are, and the reason, the reason you are quarreling with it is that you can't see that Jesus did not buy part-time disciples. Jesus Christ never called a part-time person. And he didn't have two standards of discipleship for serious uh, 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 full-time ministers and for part-timers. He said, if anybody will come after me, let him do what? Let him go and deny his father, his mother, his brother, his sister, his life, everything. And then he comes to follow me. Do you understand what we are looking at here now? Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. So the job of the fivefold ministers is to fulfill their ministry by equipping the saints, equipping every member of the body of Christ to take their place to fulfill the will of God. When you have done that, then the apostle can stand by and watch believers that he has equipped with the gospel doing exploits in the uttermost ends of the earth. Look at Philip the evangelist. Remember Philip? Philip was a deacon. And this thing we are calling deacon is not a big uh, spiritual post inside church. He was just to serve food. He was, the man was serving food. But thank God for apostles that equipped him. I say thank God for apostles that equipped Philip. The Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread. And Philip was so equipped that when persecution scattered them and Philip landed landed in Samaria. There was a magician in the town. What was the man's name? Simon the sorcerer. <laughs> there was a clash now. An ordinary church member in Jerusalem arrived in Samaria and turned the town upside down. Give God a clap of him. Do you understand what I'm talking about now? That, that, that is the model for the end time church. That is the model for the end time church. How could that happen? It's because Philip was equipped. One Peter and the other apostles were teaching and the other prophets, they imparted grace into him. If it is our average church member today that arrived in Samaria and there is a terrible magician there called Simon, what is he going to do? He will send for his general overseer and say, Mobeo, Mobeo, Nashiga Uku, <laughs> what do you call them? <laughs> Babang eh, eh, Boka. I go when Babang Boka and now Samaria. Kaisori Kazo Peter. Simon Kaisori. Hurry up, Simon. Before, let the Simon from Jerusalem hurry up before the Simon from Samaria kills my life. <laughs> Those are the present day church members. 
May God raise a church where the least member is like the apostles, like David, and the Davids become like God. How is this going to happen? It's going to happen by equipping the people. You have to equip them. Transfer the job of the apostle and prophet and evangelist and the pastor. Is transfer what you know that makes you apostle. That thing that makes you pastor, put it in your church members so they can go and pastor the bank. So they can go and pastor their classes. They can go and pastor a lost world for Jesus Christ. Now, that is the plan. With this understanding, God now begins to mobilize his people. Are you following that now? Everybody suddenly realizes that, ah, I am not exempted from this, you know. I have a place in the purpose of God. It may not be on a church. You see, part of what has frightened people from ministry is the idea that you must resign from your work to enter full time. A lot of people dread it. They really want to serve God, but they love their profession. They love their jobs. Now, I want you to listen. You are not wrong. That passion that you have for medical practice, the passion that you have for legal practice, the passion that you have to see excellence in academics, that passion was put inside your heart by God. Now, the next point is that that passion was given to you as a platform from where to preach a message for the king eternal. When you understand that, you can now equip yourself in your career and equip yourself in your work with God so that you can take your place. So that you can impart lives with the life of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? I'm asking everybody, please answer me. Do you understand this matter? This is, this is serious. Can you imagine what is going to happen if every member of the body of Christ is a minister of the gospel? Where will the devil hide? The gospel will be inescapable. You cannot avoid the gospel. Even if you dodge church, you will not dodge bank. And in the bank, there is a pastor in the bank. Many of us Christians are in offices collecting only salaries where you can also collect souls. I said, many of us are collecting only salaries in offices where we can also collect what? Souls. But you know why we are not doing that? Because nobody gave us a vision. Nobody told us that we are on duty for God in our offices. Nobody told us that we are the missionaries in the places where God has located us. Do you know that it is being, by being effective where God has located you, that he can now later tell you to leave the other work you are doing to concentrate on preaching. And I say to people, Paul was not a part-time preacher. Was Paul part-time or full-time? Are you sure he was full-time? Because by our definition, he was a builder. He was a tent maker. Tent, tent is not mosquito netto. When you hear that Paul was a tent maker, it's not, it's not that he was making mosquito net. He's those tents, you know those giant tents? They held big programs in tents. People lived in tents. So Paul was a builder. In fact, when the Bible says that Paul and Apollos and Aquila, they were of the same trade, the word that is used there is homo technos. 
homo technos. Same technology. Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, they had the same technical expertise. Ah, those things, if you don't make it properly, the thing will fall down and kill people. But you know, making those things connected them to the marketplace. They had a meeting point with the people they were to preach the gospel to. You don't know how church has disconnected church from society. So we are making noise inside church, but the people that God called us to reach with the gospel, they are in the society. And after we have stayed in our church corner, the things that are going on in society will come to meet us inside our church corner. Because they will make laws in society that will come and meet us in church. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, children of God, we will confirm that the only thing that will last is the message that you carried for God. Long after your throne, after your, your, your degrees, and after your, your CEO position, long after all of that has disappeared, the only thing that will remain is the message that you carried for God. Can I ask you, where is Solomon now? Where is the temple? Where are the buildings that Solomon built? Where is the big buildings? 13 years Solomon was building his house. 7 years he was building the temple. The house, the house of the forest of the palace of Lebanon. That's Solomon's, Solomon's uh, 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 palace. Where is it? Where is 1,000 plus wives? Solomon had 700 wives. 300 concubines and princesses. That's more than 1,000. Solomon has to plan timetable for those women. Marrying one wife, is that not enough work, bro? Well, how does Solomon, is the wisdom that God gave him to look after Israel that he diverted to look after his wives? Listen, your head can only be occupied by one thing at a time. If your head is occupied with settling quarrel for 1,000 women, how much space do you have inside your brain to think of Israel? Where is 1,000 women? Where are all the fountains? Where are all the things that Solomon did? Jesus summarized the life of Solomon. He said, Solomon in all of his glory was not like this grass of the field. But there is something about Solomon that is still standing. It was the message that he carried for God. Look at the book of Proverbs. Look at Ecclesiastes. They are the word of God. Forever settled in heaven. Like the messages that Apostle Paul and all the other prophets preached. The only legacy that Solomon has left was the message that he carried for God. So the throne was not the real thing. The throne was a means to an end. Listen, all of your thrones, they are means to an end. Your academic throne, listen, prof, prof, it's good to be prof. And my brother, I'm not one of those that say, I don't care if you're a professor, I care. Because it takes a lot to become a professor. Anybody who is talking like that is very careless. Prof, I honor you, I honor you. God has given you a throne, an academic throne. But what will heaven benefit from your throne? You have authority to call students. There are things you can do. Call them to a party. You don't have to preach in your class. You can call them to a birthday party. And if they come to your birthday, you can say whatever you like in your birthday. Do you know that when we accept this responsibility, 
we can now begin to ask for wisdom on how we can use our platform to collect souls for Christ. Give God a clap of him. Do you understand what we are dealing with here? If God gives you financial thrones, educational thrones, all other thrones, they have an objective. Come on here. In the book of Revelations, those 24 elders, oh, hallelujah. The Bible says those 24 elders, there are 24 thrones. We are around the throne of God. God is not against thrones. God gives thrones to people. God's throne is not the only throne in heaven. I was shocked to find out that God's throne is not the only throne in heaven. I expected that in heaven, there should only be one throne there. But not so. In heaven, you have the throne of the Most High God. Surrounded by 24 other thrones. But what do they do with their throne? The Bible says, when the living creatures begin to give glory to God, those 24 elders, they cast down, down their crowns before the Almighty God. And they throw themselves down before the throne of God. And they begin to worship him. They say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and majesty because you have created all things. And for your pleasure they are. And they were created. They were using their thrones to advance the throne of God. Does this, does this make sense now? What did I say? They were using their thrones to do what? To advance the throne of God. They were using their crowns as instruments of what? Of worship. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Okay. Now this was what we dealt with last year. And I, I encourage you to go and study this further in detail. Because this is, this is major. This is critical. Now. The matter this year now is not just how to mobilize all the people of God, but now how to begin to equip every believer. So there's one story we are going to read, and then we are going to draw to a close. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Please go with me to 1 Samuel 13. The army of God can only bring change and transformation if we equip every believer if we equip every believer to take their place. If we equip every believer, we arm every believer. And that's the focus of this meeting. Equipping the whole army of God with the whole armor of God to reach the whole world with the whole gospel. The whole army equipped with the whole armor to reach the whole world with the whole gospel. Listen, sir. Only the whole church can fulfill the Great Commission. You see, this is our superstar model. I respect and honor all the great servants of God that God is using greatly. Praise God for these leaders. I bless God for them. But I want you to listen, servants of God. The move of God in this end time is not the move of the superstar. Huh? This is the move of the body. The end time move of God is not going to be driven by occasional, you know, superstars. Some great men of God, genuine servants of God that God is using greatly. Yes, they will still be there. 
But the great mark of the move of God in this end time will be that the body of Christ, hallelujah, will be mobilized completely to advance the purpose of God. This is the day of the saints. This is the day when every child of God takes his place. And I want us to see this story quickly and then we are going to draw to a close. Please, First Samuel 13, look at from verse 1. Saul reigned one year and then what happened? And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 with him. Okay. So Saul is king now, right? And Saul is gathering an army. Please follow the matter. Okay? And verse 3. Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Giba. So Jonathan went and attacked the Philistines. Okay? Let's move ahead. And then of course, when it was said that Jonathan attacked the Philistines, ah, all the Philistines were angry. And in verse 4, Israel became an abomination to the Philistines. Of course, after attacking them like that, you should expect reprisals. So please, look at what happened in verse 5. Follow this story so that you will see the matter, the burden for which God has gathered us together. And we will find a place to stop and pray tonight. Now, please look at verse 5. Then the Philistines did what? They gathered together to fight with Israel. How many chariots? 30,000 chariots. Or some fashion say 3,000 chariots. 30,000 chariots. 6,000 horsemen. And people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came and they encamped against Israel. Look at verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, ah, for the people were distressed though, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. The children of Israel ran away. They deserted. In fact, some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the other side. <laughs> they went overseas. You can't hear me. They checked out like Andrew. <laughs> and they said, when this thing cools down, we are going to come back. Eh? Now look at, as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people that followed him, they followed him, and they were doing what? They were trembling. These are people who are going to fight battle. You are going to understand why in a moment. Now please, jump down to verse 16. Tomorrow, by the grace of God, we are going to continue along this matter. Just bear with us in the next few minutes as we establish this foundation. Look at verse 16. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people that were present with them remained in Gibeah or Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders, raiders, came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies and they were raiding Israel. So you have the main army and then you have the raiders. They will go to a village of Israel, kill all the people, carry the things and run away. Then there were three companies of raiders were raiding Israel. Now, go to verse 19, please. Go to verse 19. Pay attention now to verses 19 to 22 because that is the heart cry of this meeting. Now, there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. There was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. Why? Because the Philistines said, what did the Philistines say? 
If you allow blacksmiths to be found in the land of Israel, what is going to happen? They are going to make swords and they are going to make spears. So the Philistines deliberately removed and uprooted every blacksmith from the land of Israel. So that there will be nobody to equip the Israelite army with the weapons that will guarantee deliverance. Follow the matter. Now look at verse 20. But all the Israelites will go down to the Philistines to do what? To sharpen their agricultural implements. Their plowshare, their machet, and their, their mattock, their axe, their sickle. You know, what they use for farming. The Philistines said, we will sharpen your farm implements. But we will not allow you to get weapons for your people. Follow the matter. Look at the next verse. And there was a charge, oh. The Philistines were not offering this service for free. There was a charge. And the charge for sharpening was a pin or a three-quarter of a shekel or something for the plowshares, the mattock, the forks. So there was a charge. Please, pause, pause here. Look, look up here. What do you think happened to the money that was in Israel as they continued to pay it to Philistines for the services that the Philistines were rendering? That is capital flight. That is capital flight because oh, imagine now that you are an Israelite and you have 1,000 things that you want to sharpen. Who are you going to pay the money for that 1,000 sharpenings? Who will you pay the money? You will pay the money to Philistines. So the money that was in Israel was being transferred to Philistines. So there are two things that the Philistines are accomplishing by not allowing blacksmiths. Number one is that since there is no... You see, the blacksmiths of old, they were the technologists. It was the blacksmiths that formulated spears and swords and weapons for war. It was the blacksmiths that did that. And the Philistines made sure that no blacksmith would be left in the land of Israel. Please, brother, help me to go to 2 Kings chapter 24. Please, 2 Kings 24 verse 14. The removal of blacksmiths was a known strategy after you have conquered a people. Please. This is Nebuchadnezzar. 2 Kings 24 from verse 14. This was after Nebuchadnezzar came and crushed Judah. Look at what Nebuchadnezzar did. Please follow the story. What did he do? Also, Nebu carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains, all the mighty men of war, 10,000 captives. Now, look at the next thing there. Who did Nebu carry away? And all the craftsmen and the blacksmiths. Nebuchadnezzar carried them away from, from Judah and carried them to Babylon. The only people that Nebu allowed to stay were the poorest of the poor. Why did Nebuchadnezzar carry away the blacksmiths? Because if you conquer people and you leave blacksmiths, what's going to happen? The blacksmiths are going to start producing weapons. When they start producing weapons, they start arming their people. Once they start arming their people, you are getting ready for an uprising against you. So it was a known strategy of warfare. I don't have time to get, maybe tomorrow I will show you. When the allied forces, please listen, if you're a student of history, pay attention. 
when the allied forces defeated the Axis forces in World War II, how many of us have heard of World War II, the Second World War? From 1939, September 1, 1939, September 2 to September 2, 1945. Six years. Somewhere between 50 million and 85 million people died in the Second World War. 11 million people killed in the Holocaust. September 1, 1939 to September 2, 1945. That was the Second World War. Listen to the story. When the Americans and the Chinese and the other people, thank you, when they conquered Germany and they conquered Japan and they conquered uh, Italy, listen to the story. The Americans carried away all the scientists, rocket scientists, all the people that were producing weapons for Germany. America and Russia divided them and carried them out of Germany. So that Germany will never have the blacksmiths and the technologies that we develop the weapons that we threaten their conquerors. What I'm telling you is available. You, I don't have time to show you the reference. I, when I was researching this matter, I saw that the strategy for war has never changed. The Philistines knew that if you conquer these people and you allow them to have blacksmiths that will produce weapons and arm the ordinary citizens, it will not be long before there will be an uprising. So the Philistines said, no blacksmith in Israel. If you want to sharpen anything, bring it to us. In the, we will sharpen it for you. And we will collect money from you. Nebuchadnezzar knew that after you have conquered people, you don't leave their technologies. Do you know that one of the Israeli strategy against Iran, listen to the story. Many people believe that. You see this Iranian nuclear, nuclear program. Do you know that for some time now, the top scientists of the Iranian nuclear program, they are dying one by one. They are being executed in different ways, different places. Iran says, Israel, you are the one that is killing our scientists. Israel says, you don't know what you are talking about. Prove what you are saying. Get out. One Iranian scientist, top, top, top. You see, because if you take away the nuclear scientists, the nuclear program is not going anywhere. Does that make sense? One top Iranian nuclear scientist was going to walk in his car. In the morning, he's going to walk. Two people, one person riding a motorcycle, the other person is a passenger. They rode parallel to the car. One of them attached something to the car. The motorcycle went off. They pressed a button. The car exploded. It was a bomb. The Iranian nuclear scientist was blown to tiny, tiny pieces. The motorcycle and the riders disappeared. Iran say, Israel, you are the one doing it. Israel say, you are, you, are, you are joking. Prove what you are saying. We don't know what you are talking about. All the nuclear scientists in the Iranian program, they are being taken out, one by one, being taken out. It is the same biblical strategy. Don't allow blacksmiths, because blacksmiths are dangerous. They will do two things for the people. Number one is that they will arm them. Number two is that they will change the economy. Hey, 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 listen. Because the money that used to go to Philistines will no longer go to Philistines. It will remain in Israel. And in fact, maybe now Philistines will come to sharpen their own things. Eh? Hittites and Amorites will come to sharpen their own equipment in Israel. And then, so, the economy, listen, 
the ministry of the blacksmith, which is what we are gathered here for. The ministry of the blacksmith will accomplish two things. It will equip the people of God and it will change the economy of the church. Now look at the results, please. Go back to First Samuel, let us stop because our time is up. Look at what happened as a result of this Philistine strategy against Israel. Please, put up verse 22. Now everybody, please help me to read verse 22. Let's go, one, two, go. So, what happened? Now let's try again. Let's read. So it came to pass. What came to pass? That on the day of battle, everybody say on the day of battle. One more time. On the day of battle. That there was what? Neither sword nor spear found in any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with who? So you see, the Philistines succeeded. I said the Philistines succeeded. Do you see what's going on here? The Bible says, on the day of battle, on the day of battle, ah, what did the Philistines have? You are going to find the answer in verses 5 to 6. Can you go back to verses 5 to 6, please? Look at what the Philistines had. Then you see the people of God. So the Philistines gathered together to fight Israel. What did they gather? 30,000 chariots. 30,000. These people have 30,000 chariots. They have 6,000 horsemen. They are armed to the teeth with bows and arrows, with, with swords and spears and all kinds of terrible instruments. Huh? To fight against Israel. And they were like a multitude, like the sand of the seashore. Now, that's one side of the army. Now, come to the other side. Come to the side of Israel. What did the Bible say about Israel? On the day of battle, on the side of Israel, there were only two people that had ammunition. Who were the two people, please? It was Saul and his son, Jonathan. Now, do you understand why they ran away? You remember they ran away, they escaped. Why did they escape? Because it was a suicide mission. You have an army of armed leaders and unarmed followers. An army of two armed people. Can they win a war? Can an army of two armed people win a war? Children of God, this is the state of the church of Jesus Christ. We are a church. We are only the leaders are armed. They are the ones that know how to cast out devils. They are the ones that know how to pray. They are the ones that know how to quote Bible. And they are leading a multitude of empty-handed members that sit in church and they know nothing about spiritual warfare. And they are going to face an army. They are going to face an army of Philistines with 30,000 chariots. You don't know why the church is confused in the face of Boko Haram. You don't know why the church is confused in the face of corruption. You don't know why the church is... People are scattering. Those that can run to America and run somewhere else, they are taken out of Nigeria. It's because you have an army that has not been equipped. Why are they not equipped? It's because of the leadership of Saul 
Somebody that can get weapon for himself and for his son, but he will not get for everybody else. May the God of heaven multiply the ministry of blacksmiths in the body of Christ. Leaders that will equip themselves and equip the people of God for end time battle. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. We are going to continue from that point tomorrow. Do you understand now where this thing is going? The only question I want to ask you tonight is this. Let's please help me to put up Psalm 51 and verse 10. There is a kind of spirit that will be necessary if you are to become a child of revival. If God is going to raise you in this office of the blacksmith, the most dangerous thing to the enemy, ah, the most dangerous thing to the devil is leaders that are equipping the people of God. If you are a minister and you are doing the thing all by yourself, you are not a threat to the devil yet. But when you are arming the people of God with the whole armor of God, you are showing them who they are. You are helping them to take their place. You are helping them to have offensive and defensive weapons. Tomorrow, by the grace of God, I'm going to show you other kinds of army that we find in the Bible. Beginning with Abraham. Then I will show you other people that we are not like Saul. No, that we are, that we are not like Saul. They are not like Saul. Ah! Now, sir, now, sir, listen, sir. You now understand why David used sling and stone to face Goliath. Do you remember that when David was going to fight Goliath, they carried the armor of Saul. Do you remember that story? And they put it on David. What did David say? I don't know how to use this thing. I've not proved it. I've never worn it before. Why had he never worn it? Because it's only Saul and Jonathan that has it. And they use it for ceremony when they appear like that. And they are walking. Then the whole Israel will watch it. <laughs> hey, so if they throw missile, it will not get to you. Guy, this is your coat of armor can protect you from anything. Now, as the people are celebrating Saul and Jonathan, they themselves have nothing. Oh God, may God give you understanding, child of God. May God give you an understanding to see, to see the state in which we are. You now understand what Jonathan did when he removed his armor and gave it to David. Do you remember when Jonathan and David made a covenant? The Bible said that Jonathan removed his armor and gave to David. What Jonathan gave to David, there was no replacement. But I want you to note, after fighting, since there was no ammunition, there was no spear, there was no sword, there is no chariot, the children of Israel had to learn how to fight with whatever they could find. That was the bet of sling and stones. Because sling and stone doesn't require it doesn't require blacksmith. You need leather, and then you need rocks. So they perfected it. And they could sling that in to a very tiny target, and they will get it. That's how they perfected that, because nobody equipped them with the weapons they needed to fight. Note that after Goliath, David never fought again with sling and stones. Why was that so? Because you had a leader like Saul, who is content to be equipped, who is content to equip his son that will take over from him 
but everybody else can perish in the battle. Everybody else should be dependent on him. And they pay no attention to the depletion of the foreign reserves of Israel. You don't understand that what is happening to Nigeria is a failure of the ministry of blacksmiths. That's why our economy is going south. And the money that should be used to solve our problems inside here is going to Philistines. Oh God, have mercy upon us. Help us in this place. We are going to see leaders that are different from Saul. So close tonight, Psalm 51 verse 10. He said, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a car that is clean. And then do what? He said, renew a right spirit. A correct kind of spirit. A spirit that will agree with this kind of agenda. A, a, a heart that is, that is going to synchronize with your heart. Create in me a clear heart. Renew a right spirit. The man that was praying that prayer, maybe once upon a time he had it, but he lost it. Now he has got in a wrong spirit that will allow him to stay home when others are going to battle and be pursuing another man's wife. Committing adultery on the, with, with the woman he saw on the roof of his palace at a time when kings go forth to battle. The man is praying now. He said, God, 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 I've opened the door to the enemy. God, my life is not correct. God, I'm not ready for your next agenda. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Do something in my life that will prepare me for what you have in front of me. Friends, listen. If we begin this meeting and there's no opportunity for you to get right with God, then this thing is not correct. The first thing we must do tonight as we have gained understanding of what God is talking about is that we need to look at our hearts. Is your heart right in the sight of God? Are you living in some secret sin? What are you covering? We are talking about Philistines that are facing the church with 30,000 30, chariots. Look at what the devil is doing, roaring like a, like a lion, you know? Like, like a roaring lion looking for who to devour. And while that is going on, you are in your corner. You are in your corner doing what you are doing in secret. The good news is that the mercy and the grace of God is available to his people tonight. And if you want to be a part of what God is saying, the first step is to get your heart right with God. Is to repent from those secret things that are keeping you away from receiving the full armor that God wants to pour upon your life. The Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But the person that will confess and forsake them, the person is going to have mercy. As we go to God in prayer tonight, I want to invite you. God has a plan. He has a great future. God wants to raise you up. He has spoken to... Listen, when the man of God began to talk, he dawned on me that this is a word from God. God is saying over your life, you are a child of revival. But a child of revival himself... Who is in a state of backsliding cannot help anybody. The thing is good. But Jesus said to Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. He has asked to collect you so that he can sift you like wheat. Say, and you, when you are converted, do what? Strengthen your brethren. God wants to convert us 
so that he can use us to help his people. Let us pray. Let's go to God in prayer. Please, let's take a few minutes to respond to God. You have heard the heart of God. God is mobilizing all of his people to advance all of his agenda to the uttermost ends of the earth. He's raising the list to become like David and the Davids to become like God. God is raising children of revival. That is our need now. God is raising answers for our generation. God is raising change agents that will be equipped themselves and then we enter into the ministry of the blacksmith to equip the people of God. That's what, that's what we have gathered here for. Huh? That's what we are gathered here for. But he said the husband man that laboreth has to be the first partaker. If this thing is going to happen, the revival is going to begin in our hearts. And I hear the spirit of God knocking on the door of your heart tonight. I hear God calling you back from your backsliding. And if you have never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, I hear heaven calling you tonight. And tonight, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. When you hear his voice, commanding repentance and telling you to come so that he can have mercy upon you and restore you. Don't shut your heart. Don't shut your heart. Don't shut your heart. Don't be like Saul. Saul that cannot be corrected. He doesn't want to accept responsibility. Look at his leadership. Look at Saul's leadership. Look at Saul's leadership. Look at his leadership. Would you like to go? Let's go to God in prayer. Say to God, create in me a clean heart. Cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Touch my conscience. Help my life. Would you ask him to renew a right spirit inside you? A spirit that is willing to participate in divine agenda. An undistracted spirit. A heart that is not distracted. Scattered. Oh, many of us, our hearts are scattered. Plenty of things have occupied our hearts. Creating me a clean heart. Renew the correct spirit for this agenda inside my heart. Renew the correct attitude. Do something inside me that will accept responsibility as a full-time servant of God for my high calling, for my high calling, for my high calling, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Don't pass me by tonight. Can I invite you to pray? Please, let's talk to God in prayer. Everybody respond to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, do something in our hearts. Restore the ministry of the blacksmith. Oh God, change our hearts. Wash us, cleanse us. Raise up the valley of dry bones. 
raise up the valley of dry bones. There are dry bones that must come alive tonight. There are dry bones that must come alive here tonight. Oh God, don't pass us by. Cleanse me from my assumptions. Cleanse me from my wrong definitions. Cleanse me from my sins. Change my heart. Create in me. I don't have it, but create it. Ah, God, I don't have it, but create it. Create it inside me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a spirit that is correct. 